welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter, and you'll find us. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. You can uh, also like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. Please leave us a rating or review. All of this helps content creators, and we are the content creators here, and we would really appreciate it. Now, uh, today's episode is, an, is a pretty special episode. I uh, had a good chat with my uh, very old friend, Matthew Putman. Matthew Putman, I talked a little bit about last episode. Uh, he is a musician. Now he's mostly just a studio musician, but in the past, he was a touring musician, and he played in bands like, uh, I don't know if you'll know all of these or any of these, but he was in a band called Esocaris, which toured uh, all over the place, man, even Europe and all that stuff. But that was kind of his first breakout. Then he was in a band, which at the time was my favorite band of all time. It's a metal band called Living Sacrifice. Uh, and then he, you know, spread out and started doing non kind of hardcore metal stuff. Like uh, he started playing drums for Unwed Sailor. Uh, he worked on... Uh, he worked with Bear Colony. He worked with Love Drug. If you listen to that first, Pretending You're Alive or whatever that record's called, uh, he was on that one, and I got to see them several times. I mean, this dude's been in a ton of projects. He's done so many records, and uh, he's awesome. But I, you know, I met him a long, long time ago, and we'll talk a little bit about how that happened in this conversation. But he's awesome. But here's the other thing: he loves movies. And he's not necessarily a cinephile, per se. He just loves movies. And so I was really excited to talk a little bit about his musical journey, uh, but also, you know, by the end, or about the last half, actually, we start talking about the movies that kind of changed his life, or at least changed his view of movies. And so, uh, yeah, I uh, basically, I edited it just a little bit. I pretty much kept the whole thing. This is going to run almost a full two hours. I mean, we had a great conversation excuse me, so I would treat this almost like two episodes if you want. Listen to an hour, take a break if you need to, listen to another one, because this is a fun time. I love Matthew. Um, But I I do want to talk, before we get to Matthew Putman, because that's all I'm doing for this episode, I was going to do some movie reviews, because I've watched some 2022 things, and uh, but I'll save that for next week. Next week, I'm going to be talking with Matthew Sosi on our final Bergman marathon episode okay we're going to be talking about fanny and alexander and then uh i'll also be giving you my top five favorite uh bergman movies and i will also be reviewing jean-pierre genet's big bug on netflix it came out last friday so go check that out you'll have my thoughts Uh, i've seen it but you'll have my thoughts on it next week um it's uh, the reason I did that one though, because it's not really getting a ton of praise or anything. It's just because Amelie's the movie that got me into movies, and Jean Pierre Genet is the director that brought us Amelie, as well as many you know other movies that are probably somewhere on the periphery of my favorite movies, honestly, if not in that batch. So I'm a big fan of Jean Pierre Genet, even though he's made some stinkers. Uh, but I, I really love the movies of his that I love. So I watched Big Big Bug. I encourage you to check it out so that you can, uh, you know, listen to my thoughts and see how much we match or how far apart we are or whatever it is. So I'll be talking about that one. Uh, I may talk about some other ones as well. I've seen some other things that uh, I'll kind of save for next week and maybe I'll talk about it then. 
Uh, but for now, I don't want to take any more time. I want to make sure we have plenty of time for my conversation with Matthew Putman. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think in at our social media. And uh, hey, go check out Matthew Putman's projects. We'll talk about several of them here. And um, that's that. So here's Matthew Putman. Because that's how we used to be when you grow up and we didn't have the internet to tell us all of this cool stuff. So you had to look through Cross Rhythms magazine or something. <laughs> or like find a cool cover, you know, at some like record store and just like buy it because it looks metal. Yep. I'm, you know, that I'm 44. So I, you know, I grew up going to the record store every time I got a paycheck. And, you know, once I had bought every record from bands that I knew and loved, it was that. It was picking out records based on, uh, what what the cover looked like and some of my favorite records now from back then are ones that i had never heard a single song and i just picked it based on on the album cover yeah and uh yeah that's same. how you did it back then yep same yeah. and it was the same with uh video rental places for movies oh man this cover looks cool this has to be a horror movie and then you get Dude, it yeah sometimes they suck sometimes <laughs> they're terrible. awesome but like you just walk through and you find like i found faces of death i never watched it because i was a kid but I saw yeah, yeah. Faces of Death, and that cover scared me. You know why? Because there's nothing fucking on it. It's a skull <laughs> on the front, and the back is yeah, just yeah. text. And they're like, we can't show you anything that's on it. And I'm like, like I was legitimately scared of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> that was one of those movies, like, we, me and my, uh, I was at, like, a slumber party with friends, and, and one of my friends, like, rented that movie. And he, like, hit it. Like, he rented it and didn't let his mom know that he rented it. And we were going to like wait for his parents to go to bed and put it on. And so we put it on and we're watching it. And sure enough, you know, there's like some dead bodies and like his mom just appears like (laughs) mom sense. (laughs) She's like, what are y'all watching? And I'm like hiding under the covers. (laughs) That's so funny. Turn that off. (laughs) Well, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into something here because not only do you have a long history with music, uh, you're, you have a sibling who also has a long history with music. You guys have yep. been in bands people will know about. And I just kind of want to start a little bit at the beginning before even we met. I just want to start because yeah. we'll get into movies eventually. Uh, but I, I want to talk a little bit about like how you even got into music. Like where did that start? Because was Esoterish your first band that really like went somewhere like you toured and stuff? Yeah. So um, like, yeah, how'd so you get there? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to make this quick and easy. So like, you know, my, my family has a really long history of, of just music in general musicians, but also, so, uh, my, my great grandfather, um, is in the gospel music hall of fame because he, he started a, uh, like they were called singing schools, like here in like Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri area where they would just travel around and you could, they would stay in your town for a week. You could send your kid to the singing school for like a nickel a day or something. At the end of the (laughs) end of the week, they would do a concert, but he wrote, he wrote hymnals. So um, I've, I've never opened like a a hymnal and not found one of my uh, great grandfather's uh, songs. So probably the most popular one he ever wrote was called just a rose will do. Um, And anyone who's like went to grew up in a Baptist church, definitely heard it, but uh, he was partners they started a publishing uh, like a hymnal publishing company and his partner actually wrote the song victory in Jesus, which is like, wow, that's most, a huge one. 
famous hymnals in 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 history. So um and real yeah, quick, so my my, great, the the listeners yeah. are going to know because I've talked about my history with the church a lot. We both grew yeah. up in the church, right? So a lot yeah, of our so a lot I, of our familiarity is going to probably come out yeah. of that at first. At so least. it's interesting. So it's interesting. I didn't actually. I grew up around the church. Um, you know, my my we were raised by our mom primarily, and she wasn't she wasn't a, like she grew up going to like Baptist church, and like we we went to church a lot, like with our with our grandma, but like growing up, we were not, um, a church on Sunday. It wasn't kind of, kind of until our teen years that we actually discovered kind of religion, Christianity, like for ourselves and, and, and started going. Um, but we actually didn't grow up in, in, in a lot of church. <laughs> so, um, it was actually kind of a, a later, a later development, but, um, but yeah, so, but we grew up around it. And so like every, every family gathering was like, at some point someone would get on the piano and next thing you know, all of my aunts and uncles are like doing five part harmonies, you know, like everybody, everybody could like sing their ass off. And so uh, that's just what we grew up around um, was just music constantly. And we had an uncle that like put out gospel records. And so we were kind of familiar with that. Anytime we were around him, you know, we would see, we had like his vinyl records and stuff. So but we, it was really just like, it was just our passion um, from, our, you know, none of us, we were all kind of terrible at sports. Like I have, I have three brothers and we're all about, about a year and a half apart. So we're real close. And um, I'm, I'm number three of four, Corey, who most people will know from Norma Jean, he's number two. Um, him and I were probably the closest. So um, at some point uh, we, you know, I really can't even remember how it happened but we just got really into like heavy metal. Probably like we were probably in the sixth and seventh grade or something. So this is getting into like the, what's a band uh, though. Give me a band. Cause this would have been in when was it early nineties? This would have been late eighties. Okay. I, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I graduated high school in 95. So this would have been, um, yeah, like late, late eighties, but yeah, I mean, it was like everyone you'd expect. We were into Slayer, Metallica, death, mega death, anthrax, um, all, all that stuff. So like the, the, the first song that, that Corey and I ever learned to play when we finally like convinced our parents to buy us, uh, instruments, like I got a drum set, he got a guitar. The first song we learned to play together was uh, season seasons in the abyss by Slayer. <laughs> so we were, <laughs> we were just down, down in the basement, just playing that song over and over and over. Um, but we also like, we were at that age when, um, so th- that's really how it started. So we started, ban- we started playing in bands, real soon after that like we our first actual band was called funnel which is pr- a pretty terrible name but we cool. uh <laughs> we, yeah we we were we were uh we were really heavy into like our local hardcore punk music scene here here in fort smith arkansas so we were going to shows every weekend um and pl- playing in bands with our friends uh and how watching, close are you f- to little rock though proper uh, Little Rock's about two hours away, and we okay. would go there a lot too. Okay, because I know there go, was a big scene there, right? Yep, Little Rock had a big scene, and Force with and Little Rock kind of had a, a real big scene that kind of commingled quite a bit, um, especially around that time. And so we were constantly going there. People from there were coming here, and everyone was just uh, playing in bands together and, and just kind of making it happen. Lots of little hole in the wall clubs. And so that's really kind of where we kind of cut our teeth, like learned how to play was just watching our friends and trying to like outdo them and have a cooler band than them. And we, <laughs> that's like, what it's all we were about. always, <laughs> always just trying to like impress each other. You know, that's really like, that was the culture. 
Um, so we had Funnel and then Funnel broke up and then we started a really short-lived band, a short, short-lived band that was called a Forklift 101, which is somehow an even more <laughs> terrible name. Did, did who, who named that? Did Corey do that? I, I can't remember. It was probably like a, a joint decision that, and we thought it was really sick. Yeah. But uh, but from there, um, Fork, Forklift 101 actually turned into Esocaris. So it was me and Corey and we had this some guy, I don't even remember his name now, was playing bass. Um, but then, yeah, from there, uh, Arthur joined. And then later on, we found Jason Holmes. And, and that that was what became S.O. Karras, um, which was like, yeah, I would say our first real band where we actually went and made a record, went on tour, you know, like did that. That's kind of like what launched our careers. Like everything that we kind of do now definitely stems from that. Like the reason Corey joined, uh, was asked to join Norma Jean is because they were huge fans of Esocaris. Uh, the reason why I joined Living Sacrifice is because, you know, Bruce uh, from Living Sacrifice produced and like paid for and released the first Esocaris record. So it, that was the other thing about being in Arkansas. It's like everyone was, it was like a real tight community of, of people. Well, let, um, me, let me stop you there real yeah. quick because uh, yeah. I, I want to ask you a few questions about Esocaris because I think even a lot of listeners that I know that I know like hardcore music because we've like mm-hmm. chatted about it on social media or whatever, um, and they all know that I've played it as well. Um, but a band that people, I mean, even though Solid State later, I think in 2002 or something, released your self-titled record, um, yeah. like I bought this because I had an HM Magazine record or like yeah. a thing. And in it, it said in big letters, I remember seeing Bruce Fitzhugh on it yeah. and like produced, but like, and it was like mm-hmm. Esocaris. And then, um, so you guys were on my radar and it was just like a red cover at the time. I think it was just red or something, right? Yeah. Terrible album cover. Yeah. So I had that copy originally. <laughs> Later you had like the oh, wow. doll or whatever, but I had that original one, but I bought yeah. it. I believe I could be wrong. I think I bought it at Cornerstone 99. So this would have been a year after it came out. That's when I first saw you guys. The first mosh pit I think I'd ever been in, (laughs) Uh, yeah, Uh, like proper, because Cornerstone was got pretty mean with that stuff. Um, Yeah, but I remember seeing you guys, and uh, whenever I first heard, because live at the time everything just sounded like heavy and loud, and I was like, "Yeah, this is so awesome." And then when I listened to your record, I expected it to sound like Living Sacrifice because Bruce was involved, and it didn't at all. And I still thought it was cool, but it wasn't like quite as heavy (laughs) as I wanted it to be. And then, like, I say all that to say, by, like, the time Solid State put your record out, I already, I had already gotten out of that phase where I was now listening to a lot of stuff that wasn't screaming. And when I picked it up, dude, that shit still rips. I just made a mix (laughs) for someone and put an Esocare song on it. Uh, Like the the narrow (laughs) list or what, like track two, whatever that one's called. Narrowing list. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, like. What were your influences at the time? Because you guys sounded yeah. really unique now that I look back at a band from the late yeah. 90s. You guys were doing so, weird I mean, melodic stuff. and just yeah, So we actually, we recorded that record in 97. And and so all the songs were written basically like in 96 going into 97. That's insane. Our, our influences were, I mean, I, when I listen back, I feel like we're re- we're wearing them on our sleeve. Um, except for some, like there were, there were a few influences that were local bands that nobody for, I'm talking Fort Smith, local bands that nobody sure. would have ever heard of, but like the big ones back then were Sunny day, real estate, uh, quicksand Fugazi. Um, and then like living sacrifice was an influence. Sure. Um, but also, you know, and we grew up playing like Slayer and Metallica songs, 
Um, so the, I mean, those were honestly our, like all the melodic parts and sort of, and, and, and the kind of the dissonant twin guitars, yes. like hard panned left and right, do it like that. That's just like a Fugazi influence. The melodic stuff with sunny day real estate. Quicksand was another huge influence. Just sort of the, the, we called them like square beats, just doing like the, do, do, da, do, uh, do, da, do, do, like always like having these, it, it was sort of like an early version of like what they call now, like the panic guitar style you know like mm -hmm. which which actually norma jean the fat first norma jean they kind of perfected it but like we were sort of like the fledgling version of that <laughs> but Dude, another, another like the thing yeah. real quick is i think back to a lot of the bands that you and i probably grew up well i won't put you in there that i grew up listening to because uh of course i grew up in the church and my mom was really like i went to like the christian uh supply center is what it was called that had cds yeah. that solid state and tooth and nail and stuff put out and then I yeah. had like HM Magazine and Cross Rhythms where I would buy CDs through them. And that's all I had. So most of my stuff was Christian at that time. And yeah. I, I, uh, I, so listening back now, though, most of that stuff sounds like crap. Yeah. <laughs> like, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. I like your guys' record. I love Strong Arm. Advent of a Miracle is yeah. incredible. Dude, that, and then that Living Sacrifice. Was a huge yeah, yeah. And then Living yeah. Sacrifices Reborn is still just like one of my favorite like metal records. It's just so great. And that was 97. Same here. That's insane. Yeah. So I listen yeah. to those and I'm and and I've like known as a victim, which is a couple years later, but still in that 90s, like listening to their guitar work, it's like, dude, I love this. So there are like a handful of bands I can still listen to, and I'm like, this still is as like someone could re-record these now and be a band. Like these are good. Yeah. But then I listen like Training for Utopia was a huge fan of my, a huge fan of mine. I was a huge fan of them, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was all those dissonant chords and the intensity. And I remember whenever I listened to you guys, you guys had this melodic beat, but you mentioned like the Norma Jean thing. But I all I thought of was like Training for Utopia because you guys would do like dun 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 you know, like those. Our record came out before theirs. I know. Yeah, that's what's insane. I just put that together. That's crazy. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. I, Tell me more about this thing. Cause that, this is blowing my mind now. Yeah. No, I think that what happened back then was there. You know, so again, like that we, like we had a copy of the reborn record, probably at a, about a full year before everyone else did. And so that would, that was influencing our songwriting. And then like um, the advent of a miracle record came out probably about two or three weeks before we went to the studio. And we, you know, we were writing songs all the way up until we went in. So like, it was one of those things where sometimes influences were, were, uh, were happening really quickly. Um, but, but also another thing is like, you know, we, we made that record. It was probably about another maybe six to six months to a year before it came out. But man, we were making tapes. We were passing them out, you know, like <laughs> tapes, at, at, dude. <laughs> yeah. At, yeah. At, at one point, like the guys from warlord and training for utopia, like came through town, we gave them tapes you know, so it's like, um, I think there was a sort of a culture of where you would get tapes from bands that stuff that wasn't released and it would influence what you were doing. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I remember Corey and I even like listening, I don't, I don't want to name names, but like, there were some records that came out where it's like, dude, that riff, like that, they just took our riff. <laughs> like there, there were a few times where that happened, but it's like, at the same time, we were also kind of doing that too you know it's it's interpolation it's just you're taking something that you like i mean there, there's a there's a riff on that so Karis record that is really close to a, a riff from the first corn record which we also loved Whoa. 
you know, which is random. I know, but like, random. I mean, like that first corn record that we thought was, was awesome too. You know, what they became eventually was like, whatever, whatever. But at the time it was something new and cool and heavy and, and interesting. And uh, I, I think that's just what we were, we were always just trying to, we were definitely trying to push the envelope in terms of like what could be incorporated into like heavy music. And I even remember us having conversations about, and this sounds so funny now in light of where music has gone the last 30 years now, but like, dude, what if we had songs where we had screaming parts and singing parts? Dude. <laughs> and that was like, <laughs> like no one was doing that. And so like, we, that's what we were trying to do. You know, we were like, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's have some singing parts in this SO Karis record. And, and a lot of that stuff was done very poorly, you know, listening back. Um, but you know, that, I, and I remember the, uh, the one record that came out was that band bloodshed. Yeah. And they, they were doing that and we were like, Oh crap. It's like, they beat us to it. <laughs> like yeah. that's what the, there was this really competitive nature back then. Um, but we were, man, we were also very snobby. Like we, we were like determined to, to stay independent. Like we didn't want to sign to a label, um, like solid st- tooth and nail at the time and they were kind of turning into solid state yeah. and kind of like hit us up because at one point we were we were in europe on tour with blindside That's and they were just awesome. like how did this indie band from this hardcore band from arkansas end up on a european tour like we were really going for it and um you know we eventually just ended up breaking up <laughs> as bands do but tell um, me this stuff, then, yeah two, two things real quick a random aside yeah. complete caveat and then i'll get back to that yeah, uh, my very first concert ever that I didn't go with my parents, but like heavy concert I wanted to go to was, I believe, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, P.O.D., uh, Project 86 and Blindside. And yeah. Blindside was the best band on that. <laughs> like they were they were so insane good. Insane. Yeah. Because they were just wild on stage. And it like blew my mind yep. at that time. I mean, everyone was good at the time, but it, Blindside was just like so different. You know, they they were so cool. You know, they were from from Sweden. And, um, you know, whenever we we flew over there to tour with them because the label that they were on, um, they uh, uh, what's what they licensed the S.O. Karis record from us directly to put it out. And at that point, Blindside had put out that very first record. I think it's just a self-titled record. It's got the picture of the guy like holding a comic book or something on the yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they were touring on that and they were just about to go. They like when we, when we came home from that tour, they were heading into the studio to record the follow-up to that, which I don't remember the name of, the, of what that record. But the vampire to, song it, on it. The vampire song. Yeah. So yeah. The, so they, so we like, we saw them on tour, like working out the vampire song. They didn't play it every night, but every once in a while they play it and they were still like learning it. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, every night they like blew us out of the water. We were like, what are we even doing here? Yeah. But uh that was those are great memories. We were just like kind of all learning together. And and we uh I remember they they introduced they introduced us to that refused to the refused uh Shape of Punk to Come record. Wow. And we were blown away by that. And we introduced introduced them to uh the at the drive-in in casino out record. Whoa. And, and t- <laughs> again, it's the same thing. Like they listened to that record for about two weeks while they were on tour with us. Then they went to the studio and I could hear influences from that in casino out record on that blind side record. So that's how it was, man. Like you you would get a new influence, and then the next song that you would write would have 
that in it. Yeah. <laughs> so like now, that's just how we how it worked. Now before we get to where I met you, because I met you shortly after this. Yeah. And uh, isn't it crazy? Because and I want to talk about the Living Sacrifice doc as well, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Um, but like on in that documentary, it was crazy how easy. Hold on, hold on. A lot of work is put in. All right, so please yeah. take this with, with the in the way that I mean it here. I think you'll follow what I'm saying. But it, yeah. was, it seemed so easy that if you were a good band, like not just some garage band that threw stuff together, but you were actually putting stuff together and you could connect with the crowd, there were labels ready to get you. And you could get that music out there. And it was, I don't want to say, I keep wanting to use the word easier, but it was just different ways of like like yeah have cross rhythms put your record out or get an hm or like do this or that and now it's so like uh overpopulated the music you know what i'm saying yeah. that i feel like it's impossible yeah. to do anything unless it's like <laughs> yeah, you're that, playing politics you know what i'm saying like yeah the late 90s and the early 2000s were kind of like the last big hurrah of of the the record label days you know to where <laughs> labels were actively scouting bands and the main thing was that they were uh investing in like artist development you know that's just not that that's not a thing and it hasn't been a thing for 20 years like everything kind of started to fall apart you know it really it really was kind of like after the internet you know the napster really wasn't the cause of it napster was just like a uh uh just a a forewarning (laughs) of what was coming essentially you know that it was about to get really easy to 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 listen to any music you wanted. You didn't have to put it on a tape or burn a CD from your buddy. You know, yeah. like you could just pull it up, and so it it just sort of naturally devalued music, and and that caused just a revenue drop. And so labels had to find ways to survive. And so, like, yeah, I I feel really lucky in a way that we were able to kind of like partake in really, even though it was like sort of the death of the you know, what started in kind of like the fifties and went all the way up through the late nineties of just like artist development, you know, bands putting out three records on a label before they kind of like became anything, you know, that was a thing back then, you know, like even like, you know, you think about artists like Prince, you know, one of the biggest artists of his generation and of all time, you know, his first two or three records were just like kind of duds. Um, uh, and it's just because they just, Oh, this guy's good. Let's just keep on. They just kept putting money in and like, that's just not how it works anymore. And it stopped working that way a long time ago. Now there's a lot more where the artist is expected to do a certain amount of promotion on their own, a certain amount of audience building on their own to where the label kind of becomes more of a co-partner and sort you know, instead of like kind of managing and helping a band develop to greatness. So it's just a different time. You know, I, I, I think it's, there's probably some positives to it too. I, I've been out of the game in that sense for so long, you know, like I, just not being an active where I'm in a band that's touring and trying to like, you know, I've been on the songwriting production side now for, you know, almost 20 years. And then I just like to be in my studio and, and make, make music and whatever band or artist that I'm working with can do whatever they want with it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, def, I definitely don't miss that, that side of it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a different time, man. Yeah. So so uh Esocaris breaks up. When did you guys break up? In like uh ninety-nine or two thousand, something like that? We actually we actually broke up while we were in Europe on that blindside tour, like the night before we came home, we broke up. And so uh we came home, it was it was uh it was ninety-eight 
I think. 98? See, this is what's blowing yeah. my when, Wait, when did you join Living Sacrifice? I joined Living Sacrifice, like, the first, one of the first shows I played was right around, like, um, I think the one of the first shows I played was, like, uh, like uh, New Year's 2000. You know, like okay, Y2K. that makes sense then. Because I, <laughs> yeah. the way that we met is I, uh, my dad, no one I knew had internet. Okay, yeah, like it was dial up at the time, and it like cost per minute or whatever, like per whatever it was, you know. And my dad would basically just like save up all these free discs, like those AOL free discs and stuff, and then yeah. he would just like I could use them or whatever. So I got on the Esocaris message board, the most generic oh, wow. white page, you know, just a like, tri- like a tripod angel fire side or whatever it was. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And um, I posted on there. I said something and you were the one that got back to me. But this would have been after you broke up then, because I don't think yeah. that this would have been in 98. So you were still checking, well, checking something. Well, we, we, we did like we had a wet. We were like we were early adopters of the wet. Dude, our, that website is actually still up. Last time I checked. Oh, my like, God. I have the, to look it up. The, what is it? Esocaris.com like or something? Esoca- it's not that because this was back when it was like tripod dot. So, you know, I can't. I don't remember. You like, have the actual... to. You have to help me find it after we're done recording. <laughs> I want to see this so badly. But go ahead. Um, but but actually, what happened was so like Esocaris broke up, and then almost immediately, it was right around the same time with Living Sacrifice where the Truby Brothers quit. Oh yeah. And so um, so uh, Jay Stacy came on playing bass for Living Sacrifice, and Rocky Gray joined. Um, but Jay Stacy pretty quickly like it just he he couldn't be on tour very much so they asked Arthur to join Living Sacrifice and like he was in Esocaris originally he was in Esocaris yeah and so then, like, yeah. they asked him pretty quick so at the time we were all living together in Fayetteville so he moved to Little Rock to play with Living Sacrifice um I didn't have a band at the time so I I actually ended up moving to Hot Springs and I started a band with Ricky Rogers from Warlord we had a band for about a year that was called uh, Mile High Hero um yeah, i know cool I know. and uh <laughs> but you know like the name is whatever but uh i mean honestly at the time like that we kind of liked the name of but, course um and it kind of made we were trying to do this sort of like jesus lizard don caballero roadside monument thing it was just a two-piece um but it just didn't work out um but i moved there but you know i was after about six months the the, the living sacrifice guys were like hey do you want to like come out with us and just like play drums, like play extra drums on a couple songs. Cause you know, I think I tell this story in the, in the documentary, but anytime, you know, Esso Karras toured with living sacrifice a lot. And anytime they would play the song, um, something more, I would always come out and play that. There's this oh. on, on the, on the, on the record, there's this big Tom yep. extra percussion. And I would always come out and play that. And it was always just a really fun experience. And so they're like, Hey man, you want to come out and just like go, you know, just play on some songs. And so it just went from there. I just started playing on everything. Yeah. Like I just but started thing, playing along to everything. So so I remember I was still talking to you. I don't know if you had AOL Instant Messenger or if we emailed like something, but you and I continued talking after that. Yeah. And I remember one day you messaged me and you go, you'll never guess who I'm playing for now. And I was like, who? And you're like, Living Sacrifice. And that was my favorite <laughs> band ever at that time, ever. Hammering process hadn't come out awesome. yet. You're like rocking this. I remember you guys played the Emerson Theater in Indianapolis. I came to visit. Yep. You gave me an Esso Karis 7-inch. 
<laughs> which I yep. don't have. I have no idea where that is now. But uh, you yeah. gave me an Esocare 7 inch and something else. And then um, I went in, and uh, I think Corey was playing with Living Sacrifice, at least filling in or something on guitar, I believe. Yep. But he was there, and I walked up to the booth, and Bruce and uh, Corey were there. Yep. And I go, I don't know what I was doing. I was like 16 or something, or something like that. And I was just yeah. like, hey, uh, I was told that the band was pronounced Esokari. Esokari. <laughs> I remember, oh, I remember that. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, so hey, do you guys do Esokari? <laughs> and Bruce just looks oh, at me man. and goes, Esokari. <laughs> it was like the most like prick thing ever, you know, which I love Bruce. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying it was like funny because at the time yeah. I was like, I like hurt my feelings. So it's like, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I know. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very easy to read Bruce the wrong way and think that he's being a dick and he's not. No, he's, he's cool. just a very... Yeah. He's just a very dry person, but um, no, that's funny. I actually remember the Esokari thing. You you weren't the only one actually that that thought that, Dude. so yeah. So I, I, let, let's move on to this because it's it's blending the two things we're talking about here: music and movies. So yeah. you, you, there was a documentary made of Living Sacrifice, and yeah. I still don't I don't know where it's available. To be honest, like I I, I honestly it's, don't even know any of that information. I looked it's briefly not. and didn't look hard. It's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I had the privilege of seeing it because I I bought into the online screening uh of of the uh, thing. I also did the Q&A and I felt like such a tool because I got a chance to ask a question. And I mm-hmm. asked this one question that I thought was good and then no one knew how to answer it. And I was like, "Damn, I could have asked like a way cooler question." What, what was the question? It was I so I was interested. I I'm fascinated with how people how people's religious views when they are known as one thing, Living Sacrifice was known as a Christian metal band. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, in the dock, even like Bruce is like cussing and and Corey's like saying like, you know, like, yeah, that's all bullshit. You know, like, you know, and so yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. and I'm more on Corey's side. Like, I, I'm definitely in yeah, that yeah. like Christian music is a stupid concept. Like, just make music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, my question was something along the lines of, like, this goes to anyone, but I'll ask Bruce specifically, but anyone can answer. Like, you guys were known as a Christian band for so long. How does that influence your music now, or is it, does yeah. it even exist? And it was like. So, I mean, I can tell you. Yeah, I could tell you why that was a hard. I mean, so one, you you were running up against a couple of things. One, it's just like it's at this point, it's almost like an uncomfortable subject. Yeah, I figured because it it that 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 label of Christian band becomes like an anchor around a band's neck. Yes, it's it's the limestone that makes them sink, man. Where you hit a plateau and you can't get past it because of this sort of association. Some bands have been able to break out of it, but only to a point. I would say like bands like Under Oath, Norma Jean. As they lay dying, um, so on. Yeah. Like, like they, they've been able to, I mean, they've been catapulted to huge success, but it's still, it's always like a, an underlying thing that's there. I'll say this and, real quick. For, As I lay dying is a perfect example, though, because whenever, mm-hmm. when the whole thing with Tim and, and the, the Hitman and all that stuff, all the yeah. labels were Christian metal band singer, tries to kill why or you know and they add that label they haven't been yeah. that fucking label forever I know. same with norma jean and that's why it's always it's like this it's so it's this thing that's always in the background and but but it was also this you're you're coming up against the fact that you've got ev- everyone has different i'm probably the only one 
the only living sacrifice member that is full on. Like I, like I am not, I am not a Christian. I'm not a believer. Like I, I want to say I renounced it. I just no longer believe it. And so I'm, I'm probably the only one that's like that, like full on, not, not a Christian anymore. Yeah. Um, but I would say for the most part, all the other guys, I mean, um, even, you know, Corey, definitely, uh, uh, JCC, um, definitely Truby brothers, you know, like all those guys are still, and, and even Bruce, Bruce kind of surprises me. I think that he he's Bruce has chilled out so much more than I ever thought he would, (laughs) uh, you know, in, in that regard. And I mean that, I mean that as a huge compliment, like, I think that he's kind of, I think it takes a lot of maturity to kind of like get out of that mindset <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that, but you're kind of, yeah, it's also like, you're, you're just kind of, you didn't know this, you couldn't know this, but you you were kind of coming up against a lot of like sort of internalized drama that comes along with that label. Um, you know, I would say the answer to that actually is the best thing you can do is to totally ignore that label and just try to make kick-ass music. Yeah, but you know, and that's yeah, that's what they do. And, but here, yeah. here's the thing, though. I asked it. My, my, I know nobody was upset. I'm sitting here like defending myself, like I need to. I don't. Oh yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah. my my intent was like, I want to give you a chance to say no, or like, or like to get away from that label was my intent. Mm-hmm. But I was afraid, based on the answer, that I was. It sounded like I was trying to pigeonhole them in that, or and I was oh, I like, gotcha. "Oh no, no, no! I'm trying to give you an out, homie. <laughs> like, yeah, get yeah. out." <laughs> That's why I started it with. I tend to agree with Corey, but you know, like, yeah. Um. So, yeah. anyways, it was a really fun time, though. Regardless, I'm gonna have to after we're done recording, I'll have to ask to see if anybody else are movie fans or something. But um, yeah. But yeah, like, uh, so what was it like doing the or like seeing the doc and. Uh, being a part yeah. of it for whatever extent, I think all it was with you was just old footage, but uh, I don't remember if you did any I, talking I, heads or not, but I did. Yeah. I, I interviewed for it. Yeah. Um, and man, it was so cool. I loved it. It was such a, you know, it, it was like, uh, you know, I don't really think about that. I don't really think about that time very much anymore. You know, it was because mainly because it was just so long ago, you know, it's been, I think, so we're in 20, 2022. I mean, I, I stopped playing with living sacrifice almost 20 years ago. So it's like, it's been a long time. And, and um, so it's just, it's not a part of my life anymore. I, you know, back in the day, it was like, it was part of my identity, you know, being a part, being a member of living sacrifice, you that just you'd get recognized for, for it. People, you know, people would ask you a lot of questions about it. And I loved it. Cause I was a huge fan. You know, I was always really honored to be in that band. So it was really, really cool just to see the way David uh, Lipke, who, who is the, uh, the producer of the documentary he did such a fantastic job i mean he's known the guys forever he, you know he's from the beginning i mean so much of that footage the only reason it exists is because he literally filmed it you know yeah. back in like the, the late 80s um so man it, it was really really cool to just kind of to to have the entire history of the band like encapsulated in a way um but yeah he just i didn't really know I knew that they were doing one because I mean, honestly, like he put this thing together over the course of like five or six years. Yeah. I mean, Corey interviewed his, his interview portion of it was probably a full two or three years before mine. And I was one of the last interviews he did. Um, I remember when he hit me up, we, I don't even know David. <laughs> and like, he <laughs> found me on, he found me on Facebook. He's like, Hey, my name's David. I'm putting together the sacrifice documentary and you're the only person I haven't interviewed, you know, would you be interested 
I was like, sure. And so I gave him my address. We set a date. He drove here to Fort Smith from Little Rock, about a two hour drive. And we just set up in my dining room. Um, at the time, my studio was actually downstairs. So you could see my my studio in the background. And yeah, he just asked questions. And I, you know, I always shoot from the hip, you know, like thoughts. And But it was really cool because, you know, before I was in the band, I was a fan of the band. So I had a lot of a lot of thoughts and opinions just about who, what Living Sacrifice represented, what the, specifically the Reborn record, what that meant. Sort of, you know, I, I felt like that record was a really was a revolution in a lot of ways uh, for, yeah. like, for like heavy music. I was so surprised when there was like blowback for Reborn. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I liked the old stuff, but when I never knew that. I thought it was just this yeah. huge glamorous thing like this record came out and it's just a banger but i guess people yeah. were pissy because they weren't like a death metal band basically anymore or whatever i, <laughs> I mean honestly i i never listened to the first three records i just can't get into them it's just not the kind of metal that i liked yeah you know like i i, I could appreciate from like a musical perspective but it was for me it was like it was always the vocals that, that just kind of killed it for me i agree i, I love, agree i love i love dj he's an awesome guy but it just it just wasn't my thing yeah, but for a lot for a lot of guys, for a lot of I mean, Living Sacrifice a huge fan base, and that was what they loved, and so basically, you know, to them, Reborn was like they they sold out and became like a hardcore band. But dude, but to me, it's but to me, it was like oh, sick. This is more like Sepultura and like the stuff I actually the the kind of metal that I really love. And plus, like we saw them you know, when we first started seeing them play. Again, they were only two hour two hours away. And we weren't, dude, when Esoteric started, we didn't know them at all. Like we, and and it was this thing where like, hey, there's other Christian metal band in Little Rock. Do you know them? We were like, no. And they were getting the same thing. And, and I remember Bruce telling me this, like in Little Rock, have you heard about this, this Christian band at Fort Smith called Esoteric? And so at some point they came and played here in our hometown at our little punk club. And they were still playing. Bruce was on vocals but he had started doing vocals and they were still playing some stuff from inhabit, but there were about five songs from reborn sprinkled in and they brought the house down. Like it's one of the most legendary Fort Smith shows of all time. You know, like the crowd was going nuts. I'm talking people passing out. <laughs> like yeah. it was crazy, dude. They and were we, always I mean, dude, we all went, awesome. They were, but we, I mean, at, you know, we all went home that night, me and Corey and, it was just me and Corey and we were just, we could not believe how amazing they were. And they, that show immediately had an impact. Like that was the moment before that Esoteric, we were really trying to be like a sunny day, real estate quicksand. And we were trying to kind of trying to sing. And this is, you know, Corey is like a legendary singer now, but then we didn't, he hadn't figured it out yet. And I remember it was like, dude, just let's just scream. <laughs> like it was, it yeah. was living sacrifice that, that helped us like push Esoteric to that next, to actually helped us push forward and get past this barrier we had where we didn't feel like we had we knew what to do vocally we knew we knew we liked the songs and the riffs but that's really what helped us decide to get heavier and they hadn't even made the the reborn record yet they hadn't even recorded it yet yeah so it's like we were right there sort of in, at the inception of all of that stuff and then it really informed a lot of how like we came to be as a band as well so yeah i i, th- I think that co-mingled yeah i think the documentary it was just so interesting how different it was from my experience. Like, especially yeah. the funniest thing to me is uh, when Rocky 
when uh, I, I think uh, whoever was doing the interviews, what was the guy's name again? I'm so sorry. David Lipke. David, yeah. 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 Uh, when David was doing the interviews and he asked Rocky, what was your least favorite song to play or something? And he says, <laughs> dude, he says enthroned. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite yeah. living singer. Yeah. Dude, the the he, redo he that said, you guys did for, yeah. for uh, This Is Solid State, like the intro yeah. 98 version, that yeah. fucking rips to this day. I, I put that on the sampler too. Like, like that awesome. song specifically. I love Dude, that song. Do you like that song? I love that song. That it's was so one of my good. favorite ones to play. Favorite ones to play live. Um, yeah, even in the documentary, Rocky, he even says like, Warren came out. He says he didn't like it. He's like, what? What is this? Like, Rocky was one of those guys that, like, he loved his first three records. That's how he knew the band. And he didn't understand Reborn, you know? And, uh, but then, you know, he joined the band. So, you, know, yeah. you don't say no to that. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and I, and I like, uh, there, there, you could definitely hear, like, on the hammering process, there, a little bit more of that metal influence 100%. comes back in. You know, well, like yeah, it's, it's not different. all kind yeah. of a hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, you know. for sure. For sure. So um, one one quick one last story before we actually just like cold turn into movies here. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I, I would start pitching the doc, but I don't think anyone can see it yet. But I will when it finally yeah. is available, if ever. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Maybe maybe in like day. 10 years, it'll be thrown on YouTube like that Zayo guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, it'll be out sooner than that. I, I'm totally out of the loop in what they're doing with sure, it. But I know no at some, some point it'll be available. Yeah, it's cool, though, man. I, I really dig it. Yeah. And uh, there's one thing I remember. <clears throat> um, my mom, she, she passed in 2018. But uh, before she passed, every time I saw her, and I'm not joking, every time, especially after she had gotten cancer, she... Uh, had a stroke right where her like sh- her memory is like short term oh, memory, yeah. so she could remember all the stuff before, but she would just say the same thing a lot. And I'll never forget yeah. one of the things I kid you not that she would say to me every time was, "Hey, do you remember that band Living Sacrifice?" <laughs> That's so cool. And I was like, and my mom's like into like <laughs> gospel music and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But she loved Living Sacrifice for two reasons. One, she loved Lance's double bass. She would literally like yeah. pound her chest to the double bass for like no longer. That was her favorite song. And then yeah, reject. Yeah. She would do that. And the second reason is because <laughs> your ass would yell her like you would call her out. Cause I would be like, Can you can you dedicate no longer reject to my mom? So uh-huh. I don't think anyone else in the band knew because Bruce would be like, This song's called No Longer. And then yeah, your yeah. dumb ass would be like, This song goes down to Austin's Bob. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> Like really fast, awesome. and my mom would lose that. her fucking mind. Real like she thought she was this was shows? so awesome. Yeah, she would go to your. Sh- she loved Living Sacrifice. It's the wow. only metal. Whenever she first heard Reborn and Power, the first track on Reborn, she was like, yeah. "This sounds like it's from the pits of hell." And then years <laughs> later, years later, like in the early yeah. like two thousand, two thousand one, something like that. Um, by the time you were in the band, she had completely spun around on it, and she like she would go to living sacrifice shows with me and I'll never yeah. forget. The last thing I'll say about this, you guys played a, a venue called circle D in Muncie, Indiana. Yeah. And you play with a band called old boy and, uh, or no, 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 no. Anthem boy. The movie. Sorry. And no, oh, okay. I was thinking the movie, but I meant Anthem <laughs> yeah, yeah. boy and they were from yeah. Minneapolis. And, uh, Chris was the guy that ran the place. So he's running the sound. So small, small little venue for like heavy and music and like indie music and stuff. And you guys are up there just pounding, dude. Like it's 
just killing it. You've already yelled out the song to my mom. You guys are killing it. You guys have a couple more songs. Mm-hmm. And on, like, you guys, I think it's, I think it's like in, in between songs, you guys had stopped. And, like, through the PA, so we think Bruce or someone in the band saying this. We just hear, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and like Chris had stopped a fight that started during your sh- during your set and he got hit in the face. So he's just kicking everyone out during your set. <laughs> like oh, you guys were wow. almost done. But my mom was like heartbroken at first because she thought like Bruce or someone was like, oh, fuck wow. you guys. Like <laughs> And it was all because <laughs> Anthem Boy started a fight. The band that played before you guys. It's super funny. Dude, but like how I just funny. have I know, I just have like so many fond <laughs> memories of this band. And I'm just like man, so glad so cool. you were a part of it. It's just the best. Man, I love that. And you know, I'm I'm sorry to hear uh, you said your you said your mom passed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That is such a cool story. And I, you know, anytime you, I hear from someone like that kind of like that story, you were I totally like I probably never would have remembered that, but yeah. I, it it's it took, came right back to me. I totally remember doing that. Anytime someone would tell me to dedicate a song, you know, I always try. I would write it on my set because yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to forget um, to make sure that I did that. So it's that and you don't cool. really think about it beyond that. So so to hear that that had like some kind of little impact is so fun and so cool. I really appreciate you sharing that. But yeah, I, I just I love it. I hope the doc comes out so people can actually see what i lived you know what i mean because like i didn't live through their whole career of course i came in during yeah. reject but still i mean they had a long career before then and then they're still doing it so yep. i mean kudos to they them are. and i think that's so awesome and speaking of movies i i just want to you know i had reached out to you because i had just been wanting to just like catch up and talk anyways and i figured i have a podcast let's do this so my first question to you was do you even like movies and you're like yeah i like movies <laughs> And so but before we actually started doing like recording this or whatever, I just I was just like, dude, pick some songs that have like really or songs, some movies that have really like spoken to you that have changed your life or or at least like changed how you see movies and stuff. And I'm just curious, yeah. like, what's your relationship with movies? Can you talk a little bit about that? And just like, how do they affect you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah so, um, you know, I can I can easily say that and this is one of those you don't realize until you're kind of like being introspective, but, but my, my relationship with movies, I think 80% of the time is, is so directly tied to music. Um, you know, so, so many of my favorite movies, um, I mean, throughout my whole life, it, it's because there was a song in the movie or, or it was the soundtrack or it was the score like that really, you know, I think that for some reason that that's a really integral part of me being able to connect with the movie is like yeah. really, really loving the score and, and, and the music. And I think that's just, that's just cause who I am as a person, I'm just such a musical person. Like a song can make me cry, you know, at the yeah. drop of a hat, if it's the right kind of song, even though I've never heard it before. So, you know, I can easily name a ton of movies that I love and I watch a ton of movies up to this day. Yeah. Um, but the ones that, that I really remember and really connect with uh, almost all the time, it has a musical connection. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's really important to, to mention this because you, you're touching on something that as someone who's like really studied film and stuff, it's a part of film that like really kind of gets me as well. Because if a movie is like mediocre, but the soundtrack mm-hmm. rips, 
Like, mm-hmm. it will be good then. Like, it can elevate the thing. Yep. And so, like, uh, you know, music tells a story. And I'm not talking about through the lyrics. I'm talking about, like, t- take, for example, horror movie. It's mm. very quiet. You're feeling tense. Someone's about to walk over to that wardrobe. And you know there's something in there. And they're slowly yeah. about to open it. And you hear the dissonant violin slowly creep in. And then yeah. you hear this, like, synth pad or something start to build that's telling a story. There's a narrative 100%. to it. You're learning yep. something from it. Soundtracks yep. are the same way. You have people like uh, Edgar Wright, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, all kinds of people that will get yep. these songs that we know. And quite frankly, do yep. a lot of times they're songs I don't really like. Until I see yeah. them in that context, I'm like, this song fucking rules, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't like <laughs> totally. it before. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. now I'm super into this. So I, I totally get it. And I think it's super valid because, again, music contributes to the story. It can enhance the story and at times can tell its own story. And I just I think it's great. So, yeah, drop drop a title on me, man. Like what's like if you're going to sit down and watch something that you love, you know, you just mm-hmm. want to return to to one you love. What, so, what are you doing? So here. So I'm just going to admit right off the bat, I almost never watch a movie more than once. And, totally fine. and, and th- this is such a part of personality to where I, I, I have friends that can watch the same movie over and over and I don't understand how they can do it. I don't know what it is, but something about movies, like, uh, it's like, once I've seen it, I feel like I've seen it <laughs> and like, it, I, I don't have that same kind of like where I can listen to a record over and over. Now that doesn't mean that I won't watch, you know, like if I think about something like the Shawshank Redemption, I've probably seen that movie 15 times you know but it wasn't like i saw it and then the next day i watched it again and i and and i i know so many people that are that have that relationship with movies mine is is my relationship is just way different than that (laughs) and uh and so um now that being said you know i can definitely drop some examples of movies that i movies i love and and um you know i'll actually start from when i was really young and so again, I grew up, you know, I have three brothers. We grew up, you know, I was born in 77. So, you know, I basically grew up in the, in the eighties, you know, as a, as a kid. And so it was just about cartoons and I'll, I'll skip over things, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Goonies. Like those are things that everyone loved, you know, like if, if you didn't have a connection to those movies when you were a kid, then you were probably living under a rock. Um, but there were, there were still, there were still a few that were like, so for me, um, so one was like Transformers, the movie, um, dude was you such, got the touch such, brother. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and like that, that song, that song is so terrible. And like every song on that, on that, in that movie is, is terrible. But back then, man, it ripped. It was like yeah. the most badass you'd ever heard. You know, like me and my brothers were just like mimicking that song, air guitaring to it. It was most powerful. I kind of love that thing about how music uh, can can become that. You listen, it doesn't. You listen back and you realize how bad it was. And movies can be that, obviously, be that way too. But uh, dude, I mean, so that another one was like the last unicorn. Um, had that. I think the band, the band America, did the soundtrack for that. And it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> but do you, do you know then, why? Do you know why the touch is so good though? Uh, from Transformers, yeah, <laughs> it's so well, good because have you seen Boogie Nights? 
Yeah, yeah. It's because Mark Wahlberg covers it, and it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. That's right. I forgot about that. But that made me like the song. Do you you see what I'm saying? Like, we were just talking about this. Like, I thought that song was so lame, and my buddy Jason, who was born the same year you were, um, loved that song still, even though he knew it was bad. But he's like, no, but it's it's like my childhood. But it's good. Yeah. Yeah. But then I see Boogie Nights. Yeah. Yeah, and then I see Boogie Nights, and I and I see Mark Wahlberg cover this song horribly, but it, yeah. I love that scene so much that it made me <laughs> like the song. Do you know That's what I'm surprise. saying? So one, I, one, I totally forgot that that song is in Boogie Nights. One, but two, yeah, like if that song came on right now, I would listen to it because it has so much nostalgia in it, and like people don't realize like that Transformers movie. You you think oh it's cartoons it's fun. That it was traumatic. Yeah. Because the in the first 10 minutes, they kill off like eight or nine of the classic Transformers watching for five or six years. And it's like, you know, Megatron busts in and he just kills, you know, laser blasts. They're all dead. It's like you've seen these guys get hit with laser blasts a thousand times and they've died. And all of a sudden he comes in and you know, it's really funny looking back now, like um, a lot of the executives that were involved were like, yeah, the reason we did that is because we knew we, it was time to make room for a new toy line. <laughs> yeah. Needed new toys and we had to kill off. I mean, it was like traumatic, like going to bed crying because, you know, four of your favorite Transformers just got murdered. <laughs> and so, uh, it, I mean, for real, it's crazy, but that's how it was. I mean, if you talk to anyone my age that was a, a huge Transformers fan, ask them how they felt about the movie. They will tell you the same story. You know, or it's the same way with like never ending story. Um, you know, when dude, yo, when, when Artex, you know, like in quicksand, you know, it's like it was traumatic, you know, like that you just, is so you know, sad, dude. Yeah. Like I've those watched that movie were, since. And yeah. that movie still that's still I mean, it's a little cheese now, but it's like, dude, that's still I it mean, is. my nostalgia kicks in though. I still love that movie, by the way. But like, dude, it's and as a D&D nerd, it's such a D&D campaign. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such 100%. a fantasy campaign to like run through, but, but I, that movie rules. I, I also think a lot of kids you know, like I was as a kid, you know, I got bullied a lot. You know, I was a I was a sensitive guy. I was a sensitive kid. You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't into sports. You know, I was into music and like reading and like I got bullied. So it's like I totally connected with the character in that movie, you know, and the story that he's reading. And, you know, I, I had the same relationship with, you know, when I would read a book, I would have this, you know, huge. You know, I could really tell the story, you know, a really active imagination in my brain. So that was another movie that I really connected with. And so to see that happen to like his best friend. So it's really funny. There's so many movies from back then. That, that like if someone asks you like what were some really traumatic memories from childhood and we you know me and my brothers we have plenty of like actual traumatic memories from growing up but like when i think about sort of like uh, other things it's like movie related <laughs> like you know watching yeah. your favorite transformers die or watching a you know a horse drown in quicksand that's fucked but, up um, though dude yeah yeah the horse drowning but that's so fucked it's fucked up but like the, again like the music from that movie. Um, so the Never like, uh, uh, I know dude, <laughs> that like, that was such a banger back then. Uh, so another one is like uh, stand by me, um, like watching stand by me. I connected with that movie so much as a kid, you know, these four friends going on this journey. 
Um, and a lot of it was like, uh, I mean, that was the first time I think I'd really heard a song stand by me and like kind of started to connect like Motown that like, that's kind of when my, my love of Motown started. Exactly. Like, I remember telling my mom, like, what is this song? How can I like, is I didn't understand, like, was this a song from the movie? And she's like, no, that's an older song. And she showed me like, she had to like dig the tape out. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just, I just loved that song. I would just listen to it on repeat. Um, so again, it's like my, my, the song is what always usually connected me with a movie. The same thing, um, La Bamba, the La Bamba movie with, with, uh, with, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name right now. I'm gonna uh, look it up. I'm gonna. It's the Richie Valen story, and the actor was uh, Lou Diamond, Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. So, uh, um, great movie, but like, like hearing him sing those songs and like the O'Donna song, um, it was just so beautiful. And like, I would just that was a movie that I would actually watch. We would watch that anytime it was on. It was it was oh again always the music that connected me to it um same thing like you know i mentioned the goonies you know the goonies had that awesome soundtrack with like cindy lauper on it um you know the yeah. goonies song was just a freaking banger and a half um i actually heard that song just the other day and and it's just as awesome as it always was but anyway so like that man that was my all the songs that i love from back then yeah, it was so- either because it traumatized me or because I love the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold on though. So do, you, do tell me this before we move on to f- later in your life. Yeah. Like, do you ever watch like kids movies now at, or at least like, like kids movies, you know, just whatever. I don't know what to say. Like Ryan, the last yeah. dragon or something. I don't know. Just like whatever comes out. And do you ever yeah. like kind of get bummed out when it feels like just like it's, it's like emotional spectrum is like much smaller with, the exception of like occasionally to have like a spike. Like if you watch something yeah. like inside out like that, di- which I, yeah. I love that movie. Like I, I actually use it in a class I teach because uh, it's, it's a good example of emotions. Like you can easily show a clip of that or something and talk about each individual emotion and how those combine, you know, and communicate yeah. in your brain and so on. It's, it's just a good tool. But like I watch that and it's like, it's, it, it's emotional spectrum is pretty, small but then they'll have certain scenes where it's the saddest fucking thing you've ever seen or like up like the first 20 minutes of up or something's a tearjerker but then it's just like a kid's movie which again i love that movie too but like you watch never any story and that's just traumatic i know i want that (laughs) shit you know what i'm saying i I think it i mean (laughs) it kind of makes sense that you know uh, we we're always moving towards uh, a, a time where people play it sit more safe and, and are, are a little more cautious, but also like, I mean, I'm telling you, like it, it probably would have been better if, if transformers, the movie didn't kill off my favorite transformers in the first five minutes. Like, I mean, I went to bed crying, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like I know it's, it sounds dumb, but like it, it was, it was that kind of feeling, you know, like it was really tough. Um, and th- I think there were some other things going on in our lives at the time that I think, kind of made it harder um and i, and I don't want to like overemphasize it because it's not like you know I, I still got up in the morning but it was like it was really tough and i think that it it that for the most part movies want to shy away from like you know really like yeah. injuring someone's emotions well, yeah, you know, and, they want to be they want to be more uplifting and more like you know inspiring instead yeah. of like you know going with pure dread i've used this term before <laughs> it's a wrestling like a professional wrestling term but it's called go away heat when someone gets heat it makes you 
hate them so much you want to see them get beat up, right? Like yeah. a back, like Ric Flair or something. <laughs> but go away heat is whenever someone like you hate someone, you're like, no, this is ruining it. I don't like you. Go away. They <laughs> yeah, don't want their yeah, kids' totally. movies to have go away heat. You know what I mean? No, I. <laughs> totally. But it makes me sad because the Goonies, for example, like these kids are like cussing and like they're like being real kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Stand by yeah. me, which I don't even know if you'd consider that really a kids movie. I don't think it is, but it still has like these like teenagers or whatever. They're and being very, they're being very real. Yeah. Very real. Yeah. And you yeah. don't get that much anymore. And I love whenever like I get to see a new movie where the kids are treated, I I, I would call it respectfully, where you're like being true to these children, and people can take whatever they want from that, good or bad. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah. yeah, I miss that man, and I miss I miss like like studios not being afraid to let me feel emotions. Like, dude, yeah. Atreyu watching his horse drown is still in my brain. Like, I can me vividly too. see that in me that too. bog and everything. Like, I can see the yeah. whole thing, the and, wolf, and, and then and then even though at the end that you technically see him come back, you know, and that he's okay, you see Atreyu riding him again. I don't even remember you know, that because they they they. they yeah, at the end, like, you know, because they reverse everything. So at the end, like, you see Atreyu writing art. Is it Artex or Artex? Like, you see him right. writing him again. And, like, you know, it's it's like when the, the what's the, whatever the boy's name, he's writing Falcor. Yeah. And he's, like, riding over the land. You see the ah, rock yes. monster is fine. Yeah. You see, every like, they reversed everything and, like, everything's fine again. But even it kind of didn't matter because you already saw him drown. And it was, like, the worst and, shit ever. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember him living in the end. So it didn't oh, do yeah. its job. <laughs> I know. It didn't at all. It didn't work. Yeah. But So, uh, yeah, move, move forward, though, man. Like, so, so yeah. that was, like, your childhood, probably into your teen years years possibly you're watching yep. this stuff you're really getting it but that that's like my real childhood so you know getting i guess into the late 80s so another movie that i loved uh was uh, pump up the volume with with christian slater <laughs> nice so yeah and so and i i don't know if you're familiar with this movie you probably are I, i'm but, familiar you know, with it i don't i don't yeah. think i've seen it i worked at a video store and we had like 40 copies of it on dvd Oh, dude. <laughs> so I can see yeah, the so, cover of it and everything. So it's, it's Christian Slater, and he's running like a pirate, you know, radio station out of his basement. Um, you know, he's very isolated from his parents, uh, and he's running this pirate radio station that all the kids in his high school, they, they know it, but they don't know. He goes to this high school. They don't know that he is the host of the show. He calls himself Happy Harry Hardon. <laughs> it's this, is his DJ name, and he's just – but he's like – playing awesome songs by i mean like it's got so much awesome music in it like jesus mary chain primal scream he plays some Soundgarden, ice t bad brains leonard like he plays awesome music but he's also just riffing on life yeah you know and a lot a lot of it's going to be very dated because this is like i don't know this is like early late 80s early 90s but yeah, um it's 1990 actually yeah yeah okay so it's it's just such you know but when he's at school he's like the quiet kid like never says a word nobody knows who he is you know and they're all kind of shocked at the end to figure to find you know i, I don't want to spoil this movie that's 40 years old but um <laughs> it's uh but again it was just like the music that he would play and sometimes he would he's very isolated from his parents as well um they have no idea that he's in their basement running this pirate radio station and it's also this thing like the authorities are trying to figure out because he's starting to like disrupt their local community so they're trying to figure out you know, it's technically illegal to run a pirate radio yeah, station. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out where, trying to find where he's broadcasting from. Um, 
and they're, and they're, you know, and he's got like this girl crush in it, which at the time was like Samantha Mathis, dude. Yeah, dude. Girl crush central. Um, <laughs> oh man, dude. And there's a, there's a scene. I'll just say there's a scene, but uh, dude, yeah, that, I mean, that was just such an awesome, it's just, I mean, it's just a great movie for any like sort of teenager that was, you know, into counterculture kind of felt that isolation and was really into to, to music. But I mean, a lot of the stuff he was playing was, it was either like underground current underground, or it was like older music. Um, just such a fantastic movie. That's one that I can definitely, if it's on, I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. Pump up the volume. Um, I was also, I was, I was like in the Stephen King, like book club growing up. Really? So anytime a new Stephen King book came out, I would get it. Um, so when the cat's eye film came out and this is actually, this is actually more mid eighties again, but the cat's eye film, um, was this one isn't isn't really as musically related but the thing i loved about this film it's like three or four stories in one and to me that that was such a new kind of concept sure um you know cat's eye it's like three short stories and they're all all of them are terrifying yeah (laughs) like i actually rewatched this less than a year ago and it was still pretty terrifying yeah like um, i mean you have a you have a young drew barrymore and you have james woods Yep. Kenneth McKillen, uh, or McMillan, I mean, which no one will know by name, but you would know his fucking face. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> yep. that guy is in everything at the time. Yeah, this yep. is uh this is from the my birth year, nineteen eighty five. Um Oh wow. Yeah. But yeah. Great, great film. Like you Quitters Inc. is about like this guy's trying to stop smoking and he signs up with this company that is extremely unethical and he doesn't realize it. <laughs> I'll just paraphrase it. I'll just paraphrase it that way. Uh the ledge is about a guy that has to do you know if he wants to live like he's, he's like i can either kill you right now or you can do this this crazy thing where he has to walk around this the ledge of this building and it's insane um and then general is about it that's the one with drew barrymore it's about a cat and there's this little troll character and it's really awesome to see even in 85 how well they did this sort of cgi thing this little troll character is just absolutely fucking terrifying. Is it? Is it? Well, okay. So is it? It wasn't really CGI. It wasn't. CGI, is it practical sorry. effects though? Like it was. It, it was. Oh, that's yeah. the best though. Yeah, it was like you know this little miniature overlaid with like it wasn't where they were like where they do the perspective, they yeah. trick you with perspective. It wasn't that. It really was like where they probably green. It's probably early green screen technology. Sure. Um. Anyway. Just such a cool uh, movie. Also, I, I just loved Stephen King, so seeing that was was huge. You know, my favorite horror movie is The Shining, but Stephen King hates Kubrick's version. How do you feel yeah, about no. The Shining? Uh, I love it. It's one of those movies I saw really late in life, and it, it's like I had heard so much about it, heard how great it was that when I saw it, it was it was almost a little under oh, underwhelming. Yeah. And I had also I had read the book. And the book is way more terrifying <laughs> than the actual movie and way more like kind of fucked up. And so it didn't really live up to it. Um, and that was just my, so I was a Stephen King nerd. You know, it was really like most, most Stephen King movies like don't live up to the hype or they, they just don't live up to the book. Sure. Um, Cause the, like, again, like the images I can paint in my head are always way more terrifying than like what For same sure. thing with like, with the it movies um uh with the, they did a needful things movies pet cemetery like all the stephen king the langoliers like, <laughs> yeah i mean I'll the, pick the, the random book, one yeah the books are just 
just terrifying. He's, he's just a master of the craft, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still a huge fan to this day. I love, I love Stephen King. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess getting into my earlier teenagers years, I was, you know, this is like when, you know, I'd been a huge metalhead growing up, but I got, you know, when grunge kind of hit that, I mean, that was my, like, uh, that was a big sea change in my life as well. Like I really connected with just with the grunge movement period. So all the bands coming out of Seattle, but also like the pumpkins out of Chicago. Um, like I was a huge pumpkins fan from their very first record. So, uh, when the singles soundtrack came out, that was the 92 Cameron Crowe film singles. Um, before I even knew about the movie that you were, we were, you were seeing videos like Alice in Chains, uh, would, came out as a video me and my brother that was probably the third song we learned was <laughs> how to play how to play wood and it was from that video and i remember seeing it just said singles as the name and we, and we were like so is allison chains coming out with a record called singles we didn't really understand it uh, um yeah because we did we didn't really understand soundtracks yet and so um but then the movie came out and so honestly that movie like I watched it because the the soundtrack is still to this day, one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. So it's got unreleased Pearl Jam songs, unreleased songs by, um, uh, not, it's not unreleased Soundgarden, but it's unreleased songs by um, uh, the lead singer of Soundgarden. And for some unknown reason, his name's not in my head right now. I'm forgetting it as well, but yeah. <laughs> it's so annoying, but um but it also had like a, like Jimi Hendrix on it. it had mud honey, but it had, and it had this pumpkin song at the very end. I mean, I wore that tape out. I mean, just <laughs> Chris Cornell, my, by the way, Chris Cornell. Yeah. Geez, that's embarrassing for me. Yeah, but, it is. Um, it is. No, <laughs> but, you know, but even in the movie, like some of the guys from Pearl Jam and, and Soundgarden are in the movie, you know, kind of acting, you know, and it's Cameron Crowe, you know, he's, yeah. you know, I mean, the, dude, it's for the listeners who haven't seen this, Bridget Fonda's in it. Uh, yeah. Matt Dillon's in it. Bill Pullman's in it. Holy crap! Yeah. Eric Stoltz, which if you don't know who that is, it's the guy <laughs> in Pulp Fiction that sells the the heroin. Uh, he's yeah. also the dude with the with the face in Mask. And Mask, yeah, always Cher. surprising. Yeah, um, a, there's a yeah. lot of people in this. It, you know, and it's Kira like one Cedric. of those movies. It doesn't really age super well, but I still. It's such a great little picture of sort of like. Seattle in that time frame where yeah. like the music scene is blowing up, but it's really at the end of the day, it's a, it's a movie about these three couples and their kind of relationship issues. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that, that's, that's a Cameron Crowe theme, but man, the soundtrack is fantastic. At, at some point, at one point they go and see like Allison Chains playing live at a club. Um, the guys in Pearl Jam are like, they're in this fake band with Matt Dillon called Citizen Dick. And <laughs> which is just hilarious. Cause they just get bad reviews all the time. Um, it's it's really honestly a great flick, but the soundtrack is just classic. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, uh, from there, uh, let me think. I think I I, I loved Amelie, uh, the movie Amelie. Yep. Um, and a lot of that was the soundtrack as well. Jan Jan Tiersen, uh did the soundtrack so for good, that, and dude. it's just these these piano. Um, what an iconic t- sound, too. Like, as soon as you hear it, Amelie. Every yeah, movie so- that has one that's similar or uses similar uh, instruments or progressions, I'm like, that sounds like Amelie. It's, it's yeah, iconic there, I mean, to me. Same here. And th- there's actually a lot of um, um, Hans Zimmer stuff where I feel like he 
if he wasn't kind of influenced by that a little bit, I'd, I'd be shocked because some of his progressions and some of his melodies really remind me a lot of, of Amelie, but man, that, that soundtrack. And, and from there, we, we ended up just kind of getting into some of his other records, but it was a huge influence on Umwood Sailor. Like when we were making the, the marionette and the music box record, um, which is a very different record for the band. Like there's almost no drums and it's telling this actual story where all the instruments represent characters. Whoa, um, yeah. But we we were basically listening to that, to that soundtrack, like nonstop and also like learning it. Anytime we'd get to a club and there'd be a piano, we'd all be sitting down, like playing, like trying to play some of the parts from it. <laughs> um, but it's also just a fantastic film, you know, just like a really cool story. Um, Dude, it holds up because I watched it. Yeah. I watched it last year. I think uh, that is the movie that got me into movies. So that's like mm. the one for the longest time. It was my default favorite film of all time. It's not anymore, but uh, I still yeah. love that movie. And Jean-Pierre Genet, the director, did a bunch of good stuff. Uh, the stuff before he partnered with Mark Caro, um, and they did like kind of horror inspired things. So Delicatessen uh, and City of Lost Children, which if you haven't seen City of Lost Children, oh, it's yeah. so good. And then, uh, but then he did Amelie. He did a very long engagement. Did you ever see that? Man, so I, I'm gonna say that I haven't, but I, I might have, and I just yeah. don't remember the name. Has Andre Tattoo in it again? <laughs> yeah. But it's like a war movie that he did. But it's about lo- like it's a love story, really. But he has a movie yeah. coming out to like well tomorrow, the day we're recording this, but Friday. So by the time this is out, I may even like review it on this episode. So whatever. But it's called Big Bug, and it's on okay. Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you should watch right, it. I'm so, probably gonna review so, it on this on this episode. But the point yeah. is, uh, it looks. When I watched the trailer, it looks terrible at first. <laughs> yeah. And then by the end, there are like lasers and stuff. I'm like, this looks awesome. <laughs> like, like in kind of like a weird way, because he's such a weird visual filmmaker that it's just like, it's just weird. Yeah. You should check this trailer out, man. I got to send so, it to you or something. So, yeah, you'll you actually you should you should you dropped like a few movie, a few movies there that you should send to me. So. Um, I'll take all of them, but it, what you said reminds me of, you know, the discussion we had recently about the movie pig about how, when do you, uh, when you watch the trailer for it, it, it's, it comes off like it's, you know, taken with a pig. Yeah. And that's not even remotely close to what the movie is. It's actually, I mean, probably one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. You put this on Facebook and I commented, I was like, when did we talk about, I remember now. Yeah, 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 it was a Facebook discussion, but yeah, the movie Pig with uh, uh, with uh, Nick Cage, with Nick Cage, I it was I just kind of watched it last minute, even even going into it thinking it's like this guy has a pig that he loves, and somebody takes it and he goes on the on the war path, yeah, trying John to Wick. kill them, yeah, and, and it, yeah, and in a way that is what he does in a way, but the not third the way act you is think. Subversive, yeah. yeah. It's not the way it's not guns blazing and, and total violence. It's not that there's this really beautiful story unfolding about him and about this other family. And it, I mean, that movie, I mean, at the end, honestly, like I was like, it doesn't, that doesn't happen to me much, but I was, you know, teary eyed. Like it really, yeah. it was really touching. And, and and I think a lot of it was because it totally subverted what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I figured that out about halfway through. It's like, okay, this is not what I thought it was. And it's already going way deeper than I thought it was going to go. Such, and I think there's also like this association with Nick Cage at this point, where you kind of assume that so much of what he does is just whatever, um, but it's not true. Like he is really can. I mean, he has done some amazing stuff, and that's such, such a amazing. great example. 
He's done. Yeah. He's actually done a lot of amazing stuff that he I don't has. think people pay much attention to, which makes me really sad. Or they just forget because <laughs> they think of the Nick Cage yep. thing, right? It's like bands. It's like a band. Oh, here you go. Like Under Oath. Once they're only chasing mm-hmm. safety came out, that was the sound. But yeah. I remember their metal shit before that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and that's With what Octavio. Under Oath sounded to me. Yeah. And then whenever yeah. whenever they're only chasing safety came out, I said, This sounds like Hope's Fall, which it doesn't. But at the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. it sounded like it to me because I didn't know what I was talking about. But yeah, and that's so- funny get my only association with them was like, like Living Sacrifice played shows with them before the they're only chasing like they're only chasing safety album. And they were a metal band. And so when I, I heard they were getting big, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like this metal band's getting really big. And then somebody played me one of the songs. I was like, Oh, the sun still <laughs> sleeps. <laughs> yeah. And it was great, but like they, okay, they changed completely, changed their sound. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a, a fan, even when that came out, but I was a little disappointed yeah. that their little spazzy metal band was gone. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, so you're, so Amelie's a great choice, man. Yeah. And yeah, then love oh, it. what did you, oh, and Pig. Yeah. Pig was an honorable yeah. mention. It didn't quite make and my that, top 10, but it's one of those movies yeah. that I still pitch to people because it's like, it's not going to be what you think. And it, yep. it reminds me. There's a. There are two movies that come to mind that remind me of a similar thing that are kind of misleading, but then they end up being something very different. So there's a movie with George Clooney called The American, um, and it came out in 2010, and he's like this assassin, and it, in the trailer, if you watch the trailer, it looks like an action movie with George yeah. Clooney, and it's a fucking. It's like a. It feels like a mid 60s or like a late 60s, like. European thriller with like a Western yeah. story. Like, it's just like, dude, it's like super different and it's fucking amazing. And had I only watched the trailer and not read about it because people were giving it like four star reviews and stuff. I'm like, what this yeah. action movie with George Clooney. And it's not drive was the same way with Ryan yeah, Gosling. That drive. trailer looks like an action movie and it is nope. so not that thing. Not that, yeah, I love that so, movie. And so, yeah, it, it, and, and also a similar. great soundtrack. Yeah, oh, dude, a killers, dude. That's where I yeah. first heard Glass Candy. And oh now wow, I yeah, love Glass Candy. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I, I feel like I've seen the American, but I, I just wrote it down because um, I want to watch it. Uh, that sounds like something I would love. So I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna introduce you to Letterboxd, brother. Okay, I actually signed. So I signed up for that about a month ago and I, I it's just like an app it's like a dead app on my phone at this point so yeah. te- teach me the ways well i'm I'll gonna listen. teach you the ways when we're done recording because this is gonna be a yeah, thing yeah. now um cool. but yeah so g- give me a few more g- get a little get a little further so yeah. you get amelie and yeah, uh and i kind of jumped ahead with pig but like so back you know on the natural progression so the virgin suicides um was, that was a wild I, I love I, I loved that film and it's like the one of my favorite bands air uh did the soundtrack yeah and so I heard the soundtrack first um and fell in love with it um and then I saw the film later you know uh, so Sofia Coppola um you know it's it's a Coppola movie yep but um Kirsten I loved Dunst. it you know yep Kirsten I mean like it's it's also again like a very shocking movie doesn't I mean it's kind of funny like the 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 title tells you what's going to happen and even in the first i think 20 minutes it tells you what's going to happen but it's still kind of shocking when it happens <laughs> yeah um, and josh hartnett's in it you're oh, on a james you're on yeah. a james woods kick too because james woods i forgot he was in it 
But the thing is, is. Uh, the Criterion right. Collection put this out a couple years ago, which is a. If you're not familiar with Criterion, are you familiar with Criterion? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my listeners would be too because I talk about it all the time. But yeah, they put that yeah. movie out. I've been meaning to rewatch it because I haven't seen yeah. it in like over 10 years easy. I, same here. I, I definitely haven't seen it in 10 years. It's one of those things like if I'm if I'm going to watch a movie, I'm usually I have. So I have a I'll tell you that, you know, I have a list, a phone note of just movies. If I hear about a cool movie like just then I added the American to it and it's got about at this point, probably 150 movies I haven't seen yet. And so anytime I'm looking for something to watch, I'll just go to the next one in that list. Um, and, and after I've seen it, I'll put like an asterisk next, next to it. And so, um, so I rarely ever think about rewatching old stuff because I have, I have so many new mo- new movies I want to see. So, um, but if, if there was one I would, I would rewatch, it is definitely this one. And it, and also the next one on my list, which is uh, Memento. And so, Memento, the thing I loved about about that, and that's Christopher Nolan, and I think that I kind of think that was pretty. Er, I don't know so he, how much he made he, a movie called Following prior to that, which was his like independent. He hit the scene, yeah, and then that was in '98, and then in 2000 he does Memento, and now you're yeah. getting on my level because this is this is kind of where I started. I clearly remember watching Memento. Um, so one, it was the first time I'd ever seen Guy Pierce in a movie, and he's just um, amazing. But it was just such a cool concept. And, and, you know, and I know that if you really look back in the history of cinema, that there's somebody who did a movie where they told it in reverse. Well, real quick, though, with that, do you want to hear something funny? In reviews in 2000, people Mm -hmm. called Memento a Pulp Fiction ripoff because Pulp Fiction (laughs) was so influential in nonlinear editing of the story that anytime anyone did anything different... Yeah, they were labeled a Pulp Fiction clone, which yeah. is hilarious because it could not be further from the truth. That that tells um, you like the the cultural impact of that movie, yes. which I you know I think is well deserved. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's kind of wild because there's no really comparison at all. <laughs> like yeah. it's such a different kind of movie, super different. And um, did you get yeah, it, was, it the it first was, time you watched it? Did you get it? It's kind of funny. Like I don't remember if I did or not. Like I just remember when when it was over my mind was just racing. And even the whole time it's, you think that it's going to be easy to keep up with it. You think it will, you, you know, cause I went into it knowing from, you know, this is like uh, back in the day. So I'll, I'll just back, I'll, I'll just chase this rabbit for one second. You know, like if you look at like movie previews from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, they basically told you the whole movie. You know, it's really funny how much they gave away in previews back then to where when you went to see a movie, you knew what the whole plot was right off the bat. So at some point they stopped doing that, which is wise. You don't want to give away the whole plot. But this was one of those movies like going into it. I knew that it was told in reverse. And so from the very beginning, like I'm thinking of it that way. And so I'm thinking, oh, I'll be able to keep up with it. But it is crazy how quickly like your brain like folds in on itself <laughs> to where you're lost, you're lost. And you're like, why did that happen? And, th- uh, you know, is did that happen before or after? And so by the time it got to the end of the movie, I, my brain was like a scrambled egg, like trying to figure out. And it was one of those movies. Like I went back and watched it again. Um, not very long after uh, just to try to like make sense of certain things. Um, but at the same time, it's been 22 years, you know, I, I mean, I saw it when it came out. So I, I don't remember like much about it, but, uh, but I just, 
but I was, I was just really inspired by that just sort of a, a totally different take and sort of the bravery it took to like tell a story that way. And, and, and you could even say like, why would you tell the story that way? Is, is it a good story when you tell it? Well, in, so, in, you know, yeah, like this is in something your time, this is something I argue a lot because how you tell a story again, Pulp Fiction is a great example. If you told that chronologically all the way, yeah. you know what I mean, it would be a different experience. Have you ever seen the movie Irreversible? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, it's it's a French movie. It's super fucked. It's on like a lot of like most disturbing films of all times thing. Um, but that whole movie is told backwards, whereas Memento has black and white sequences going forwards and color ones right. going backwards, and they meet in the middle. So the end of the film yeah. is actually the middle of the story, but because of how it was told, you That's end up right. there. If you got the special edition DVD, you could watch it chronologically. So it's all black and white, fades to color, and then it's full color. And that's a whole different experience. Oh, wow. But that's cool. If you watch Irreversible, which I'm not encouraging you, that's go at your own risk type thing. It's pretty fucked. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Uh, but there is a like nine-minute rape scene in it. I mean, from beginning to end. like you, It's like rough, okay? Yeah. And yeah. and uh, one could argue, like, is that necessary? And I, I, I get that argument, but... Uh, and and nine minutes, yeah, maybe that's excessive, <laughs> but um, but it does have narrative purpose. The whole movie's mm-hmm. backwards. The beginning of the movie is super violent. Uh, mm-hmm. In Drive, the movie Drive, you know, whenever is this? Is this the one where like fire the fire extinguisher, extinguisher yeah. to the face? Okay, yeah. yeah so I have seen this. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so yeah. when whenever when Nick Reffin made Drive, and he stomps. He has Ryan Gosling stomp the dude's head and it cracks. Yeah. He yeah. contacted the dude that did Irreversible. Like, how'd you do that Like uh, fire extinguisher sequence? Because wow. it's super believable. Yeah. So anyways, like, all it's ultra-violent at the beginning of this movie. And then mm-hmm. it's not until you get to technically the beginning of the narrative, because it's backwards, but it's like the last third of the movie, where you see his girlfriend get raped by a guy yeah. that you saw at the beginning of the movie. Now you understand why he was so pissed. Now you yeah. understand all this. The very last scene, it's not... This doesn't really spoil anything, but again, spoiler, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is like 20-year-old yeah. movie. Deal with it. Yeah, it's old. Plus, I don't expect a lot of people to run out and like watch yeah. Irreversible. Like, Why would you do that? I actually think I have it on mm-hmm. my shelf, but... Anyways, uh, but yeah, like you find out that she's pregnant in like one of the last scenes, and oh, they're like wow. super in love, if you were to watch this backwards, That's it would right. start with her and then her getting raped in the first act, and then it's just violence, and you'd end on violence. And it's like, yeah. that's so different. Telling the story backwards actually helps us get yep. context. It the way you under- tell the story, yeah, the way you tell the story becomes part of the story. And I think that's really powerful. You know, that's like, gets into like, the the medium is the message. You know, like, you know, that the way that you tell the story can almost be more important than what the story is actually saying. Yep. Um, yep. And and Nolan did that. He's done that through his whole career, pretty much. I mean, yeah. he, that's kind of he likes to tell stories differently. He gets uh, flack for it sometimes because sometimes he just kind of go. It's almost like he's doing it just to be different. You know, some people. Yeah. But you know what? I'm usually on board. Like, I mean, I can nitpick his movies all day, but. You know, I'll sit and watch Inception any day. I can pick Me that too. movie apart, dude. But you know what? I, love it. I am in, entertained by it. Same with Interstellar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if it's all about love and it doesn't make sense and that's stupid. Yeah. You know what? That movie it. fucking rules. <laughs> I know. Dunkirk. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And it hits you. And I mean, those movies like 
He is insanely talented at telling a story and, and, and progressing it in a way and putting the scenes together in a way that are there. They just impact you, you know, and probably the, the broadest portion of the audience, you know, like there's a reason why, you know, he makes blockbusters and it's because he is very, very good at telling, telling a story in a very modern way that takes advantage it takes advantage of technology without losing like the heart of the story. That's what he's really, really good at. Yeah. He was a um, very, very late. Uh, I, I don't know if he still has, I'm assuming he has, but he's a very, very late adopter of digital. He was very much a film guy. So he yeah. shot all of his cameras were on film. Like he was, he's like an old, like he has like an old school mind, but he's very new. If that makes sense. Yeah. And um, his movies clearly have like a style, not just because of his, uh, the way he tells his stories, but I mean, Hans Zimmer does like all of his soundtracks. So you have this yeah. kind of common through line of music. And speaking of speaking of music, real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump forward and then I have a question for you before we close out. Yeah. Um, have you seen stuff like There Will Be Blood or did you watch The Power of the Dog from last year? I loved Power of the Dog. I loved it. It's my favorite film so of many, the year. I, oh man, me too. Like I had so many people that didn't like it, and then I realized, and I'm not going to spoil it because it's too new. Yeah. I realized that a lot of people don't understand what happened. <laughs> they don't understand what actually. Yeah. Yep. You have to put they it together. Don't understand what the story. Yep. You do, and and he doesn't. He doesn't come right out and tell you, and that's what makes it so powerful. Is just just realizing that this is not just a dumb kid. <laughs> like yeah, that's but, all but I'll also, say. But also but, yeah. this guy's not just an asshole. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not like he all. has some serious he's, shit that almost makes him got, sympathetic, even though he's terrible. He does, but he's still like, yeah, I mean, everyone's a great so character. Much, it's so great. Yeah. There's so much depth to it. I agree. And, so, and also like Johnny Greenwood. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Johnny <laughs> yeah. Greenwood. Had, Cause, cause yeah. we're talking about Hans Zimmer, but you're a music guy. Is there yeah. anyone better right now no. making soundtracks Johnny Greenwood's no, soundtracks dude. are like some of the only soundtracks I voluntarily too, just dude. put on and listen to he just did the uh the the, the Diana uh what was it called Princess Diana with uh, Kirsten yeah he I did forgot that he did that holy amazing shit. amazing it's so good it's got this piano like sort of the main theme that repeats throughout it's just so catchy and gorgeous and and interesting it's so johnny i mean i've been a radiohead fan since the beginning like i remember going and buying the bins the day it came out yeah. you know like old school radiohead fan so uh, you know i love everything that he has ever touched um and so i'm i'm so stoked to see all the soundtrack work but yeah his stuff with there will be there will be blood I, I mean, I own that soundtrack. Like, I listen to it's it. the greatest thing that's um, ever been made. It's, yeah, dude, it's OK fantastic. Computer is my favorite record of all time, OK? So yeah. I, like, love this dude. And I listen, and there's a song. I, I'm, I'm going to see. I just forgot it. I had it in my head. But mm-hmm. it's like Prospector's Dream, or it's called something like that. It's like track. I don't remember. But it's on There yeah. Will Be Blood. And that, that chord names. progression sounds yeah. like a Radiohead song. And I'm like, I, I could just sing <laughs> over can't, this. Like, this is so really good. can't escape it. Yeah, but then, but, really he, but he's th- like, dude, if you listen to the master or the licorice pizza one he did or yeah. um, like any of these, the only one that sounded in even remotely to me like uh, there will be blood is uh, the power of the dog, which I don't think sounds yeah. the same. It's just there's a similar it's, intensity it's, to it's it. It's in and, that vein. And think about the relationship between those two movies, like yep. the setting, 
You know, like the way the I story's that, told because they're both they're real quick. Yep. I love the way that Paul Thomas Anderson tells stories. Okay. Yep. And then Jane yep. Campion does the power of the dog tells the same style of story. I, and I talk about this a lot. Listeners are going to just, I'm beating them over the head with it. Cause they talk about it all the time. My favorite type <laughs> of storytelling. Usually the one I really grab, grab, like grapple with and grab onto is movies like, uh, there will be blood or the master or the power of the yeah. dog and movies like that, where it seems like slice of life. You're just seeing a bunch of random sequences. There's almost not a through line narrative. There is, yeah. but it's like paper thin. But it's when you start thinking about it, like watching the master. It looks like you're just watching this asshole, yeah. And like this, like con artist, you know, this cult leader. Mm-hmm. But it it's a love story about these two guys. And if you don't pick up on that, because they never say yeah. that, it's you, the number one man. It's the number one rule of storytelling: show, don't tell. Yeah, that dude. Like he is, he is a master at it. You know, like you don't. He doesn't lay it all out. He he forces you. If you're capable of like, and if you're invested to tell some of the story in your own head, to put the pieces together and to make connections and that it, it, and it's really interesting. It kind of where it's kind of where it makes the movie different for every person that sees it. Whereas if you think, if you you think about a blockbuster, we're all seeing the same movie, you know, like for example, the, the newest Ghostbusters movie, I saw it. I loved it. It's just, you know, fan service, nostalgia central. I love it but we're all watching the same movie. We're not going to come to different conclusions and have these deep thoughts. We're watching, we're watching a movie, but that's not how it works for something like the master or power of the dog. Like it forces you to tell some of the story in your own head, to make connections and to internalize the story. And, and that's how great music is the same way when it, when, you know, when it doesn't lay it all out, it forces you to internalize and to ponder and to have this sort of introspection to where you, you kind of like become part of it, you know? And I think that gets lost on a lot of people, <laughs> you know, that that is a, such a key part of storytelling is you don't, you don't want to lay it all out, but you don't, you don't want to make it to where it's too like threadbare to where they can't make the connections, but you don't want to tell all of it. You want to leave just enough of a scent to where, you know, to where they can make those so anyway, I'm ranting at this nope, point. Nope, it's good. But, uh, it, you know, it, yeah. it's really it's all about giving them the puzzle pieces and letting them put it together. And yeah. uh, they have all the pieces, though. That's the key. If you don't give them all the pieces, yeah. doesn't work, right? But yep. as long as you give them all the pieces, which the power of the dog does, there will be blood does, all of yep. these things. It's just the greatest. And this is how stories have been told for as long as films been around since the late 1800s. Like. Mm-hmm. movies have been telling stories show don't tell that's the whole premise of silent cinema you know what i mean um and yeah. uh yeah it's it's like watching an mcu movie it's like someone doing the work for you and it's easy and it's entertainment yeah. and i like a lot and of hey, them. don't get me wrong and it's like, fun it's yeah, fun like i can you know you're having it's more of like a community experience it's yeah. it's different it's different than, it than experiencing a piece of art that forces you to interact a little more and to think a little harder um, and yeah, where they don't lay the whole, you know, where you don't have a character that explains this thing that you're not understanding and they just tell you what it is, yeah. you know, with a, with some like cheap voiceover or some other trick, you know, yeah. all that stuff can always cheat. It can cheapen a story so quickly yeah. and, and, and anybody, music, anybody back, can connect with that. Yeah. And music telling stories too, man. Like sometimes they'll put a sad music over something that maybe you don't automatically feel sad about the scene. But once the music yeah. hits, it's telling you you should be sad now, 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> I like movies with Johnny Greenwood shit where you don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. I feel tense and they're just drinking milk. Yeah. Like, what's happening? You don't know. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, and so you're probably talking about No Country for Old Men. Uh, so no, there's like, well, No that, Country for that, Old Men has no music. Yes, exactly. There's like, there's one scene with like a, like a little orchestral swell. But there's literally a scene where he's drinking milk <laughs> and <laughs> and and it's tense and it's scary. Yeah. That's one of the most terrifying movies to this day I've ever watched. And there's almost there's no music. Yeah. No, I you know what you're talking it's about. Like, it's funny that I said that because I was not drawing that. I was thinking of the power funny. of the dog <laughs> where there will be like two people just like looking out the window and Johnny Greenwood's doing some like super percussive, like yeah. dissonant <laughs> shit. You're like, yeah. Uh, why do I feel worked up? Like nothing's yeah. this is the most peaceful thing ever, you know? It's just the best, man. Like I I just really love that. So tell me tell me the last film, this would be the last thing we do. Tell me the last film that you watched that you just really loved. Not counting uh, Pig or the other. Uh, Red Rocket. Okay, see I didn't no unfortunately I didn't get around to that one. Tell me about this yeah, one. Yeah. What what'd you love about this? Um so one, I, so I I don't know who this actor is that played the main character. I don't, I don't know his name. I don't know if he's been other things. I don't know. Um, but, and I don't know anything about the making of this movie, where it came from. I just watched it because it was on again. Like I had this list, either it'll be someone like I'll have a friend who talks about a movie on social media or I'll see a preview or I'll read a review. And I go into this gigantic list and I just write the name of the movie. I don't remember where I heard about it. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah. so, so I just pulled it up and watched it. And um, it's just such a great, um, uh, how, how, how do I explain this movie? It's not like a complicated movie. It's about this guy who is. Uh, Washed up porn star. Yes. And you don't realize, <laughs> you don't realize right off, right off the beginning that he's a porn star, but he, he's just like shows up in his, in his previous town. He like has to, he has to flee LA basically. And that's, you don't, know anything about him you just see him rolling into this town that he came from and he's just has he's has nothing so he has to start from nothing and hustle his way back up to like trying to go back to LA so it's his story of like trying to hustle his way back up and he's just kind of a terrible person <laughs> and and the guy the guy the actor he plays him so good he reminds me of so many guys like small town guys that are hustling that I that I he, he was so reminiscent of people that I know and situations that I've seen, you know, of just like some, somebody just kind of like hustling and manipulating and just trying to get some money because he's trying to get to this next thing. Um, and it's just a really, uh, I, I don't know what it is about it. I just thought it was really intriguing and uh, really well done. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it wins like, you know, some, some indie awards here and there because the acting, I mean, it, it just feels really very genuine. Um, the way the way he plays this character, it, he'll, I can almost guarantee he will remind you of somebody in your life that is like this. This just hustler guy that has this manic energy, always trying to like hustle up something. Like uh, that's the best way to describe it. But great, you know, great, great flick. When I first saw that uh, uh, the poster, it looks like some like Animal House bullshit because he's like naked, but he has like a donut wrapped around. Like it's like weird. <laughs> I haven't and, seen that. Yeah, uh, that just like picture. Googling, that's funny. like it's so it's so weird. But anyway, Sean Baker. I can see why. I can yeah. see why the the donut thing because there is like a donut. Uh, there's this. Well, I won't give anything away, but like, yeah, he starts going to this place where he gets donuts, and that that's sort of the second half of the of the story. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it looks like hilarious. But people were 
like then funny. I found out Sean Baker did it. Now Sean Baker did a movie called Tangerine in 2015, won a bunch of indie awards. Tangerine was a film that was uh, about two um, transsexual women. That uh-huh. uh, the whole thing was shot on iPhones, like it was super indie, but it won a ton of awards because, okay. like, um, like it just was really good. I haven't seen it yet. I, I, don't I actually haven't seen any of Sean Baker's yeah. stuff. I feel a little yeah. embarrassed because his stuff. No, you been shouldn't. A big deal. I mean, uh, honestly, like it's it's a race. I mean, it's racy. Like, there's, I mean, it's got some straight up like full male nudity and like some you know gratuitous sex scenes. Dude, like, I, you know, I watched. I it's watched a very the, modern movie. I don't but. give a shit. I watched the first three episodes of uh, Pam and Tommy. That Me who, too, dude. And he talks to his dick for like five <laughs> I know. minutes. I was dying, dude. It's really dude, funny. Honestly, like I think that 2021 and 2022 is going to go down as like the year of, of full frontal male nudity. <laughs> like, honestly, like we haven't <laughs> seen it until now. And I feel like, I mean, we grew up seeing tons of like naked women in movies. I mean, for as long as I can remember. And but you never it was always like off limits to see a naked male. I mean, every once in a while you would like there was that uh what was what was the movie that was kind of mid mid two thousands with uh oh gosh, the Green Goblin. What's the guy that plays the Green Goblin? Willem Defoe? Yeah, Willem Defoe. What there's a Willem Defoe movie where you see quite a bit of his of his member. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but other than that, like it was but like the last couple of years, I mean, gosh, man, so many movies. And I think it's kind of becoming normalized now. And I don't really have a thought about it. I just think it's interesting that we're like kind of arriving there as a culture yeah, to where it's, that was it's, a big finally, deal. it's finally okay to like see a, a naked dude. I mean, I don't think <laughs> but, I've ever seen an American movie with any kind of a budget on any kind of scale that has as much dick as Pam and Tommy has. Dude, it's crazy. And you know what? It was and, four yeah. people running an animatronic dick. I know, dude. I read about it just Isn't that this morning super about how they funny? did it. Anyways, um, on that note, we'll end on full frontal nudity. Um, <laughs> Let's just no, go uh, yeah, Red Rockets one I wanted to get to because he did Tangerine. He also did the Florida Project from a few years back. I I want to just marathon all of his stuff because I missed both of them of the other yeah. ones. So I'm gonna watch all of them at some point. Cool, man. Um, a few others. The Card Counter yep. was really awesome. All right, real um, quick, let me stop you. I'm okay. So we're not done. I need to ask you this. Have no, you watched I, much Paul Schrader shit? Do you know who Paul Schrader is? What uh, are the movies? I'm really uh, he, bad with he was like, a writer early on. He wrote Taxi Driver. He also oh, wrote yeah. Raging Bull, but he directed a movie called Hardcore from 1979, 8. And it's fucking awesome because it's this like pastor, okay. this like Christian pastor dad um, and his daughter. Like he thinks she gets like. Not kidnapped, but she freely goes somewhere, but then she gets caught up in like the porn industry. So the super like uh-huh. straight laced Christian dad has to like go to LA and act like a porn producer to find his daughter. And no, it's like a fucking bummer. Every movie he does is a bummer. <laughs> Card Counter is a bummer. First Reformed is a bummer. Like all of these okay. movies. Yes. Um, but uh, Hardcore is awesome, dude. <laughs> okay. It's such a bummer back. and it's like so weird. Um, but anyways, I, I loved that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but anyway, so you were going to, you were going to drop some though. So the card counter is one. Yeah. The, I mean, uh, yeah, I was going to like the card counter. I just watched, I mean, I love, um, uh, that the actor Oscar in that Isaac, dude. Oscar Isaac, he's having such an amazing, like last three to five years, that guy, like almost everything he is in. I love, have you seen, um, uh, uh, Oh God, what is it called? Hold on. I just lost it. It's like oh, a most violent year. I think is what it's, no, this is, this is the worst part about trying to remember movies and music is how like 
things you should know just aren't there when you want to recall them. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> annoying thing. Yeah, it's in called the world. <laughs> a most violent year. It has uh, Jessica Chastain. Funny enough, they just did a mini series called Scenes from a Marriage, which I just watched the original and covered on the podcast. That's um, on my list. Haven't watched it. But uh, anyways, uh, but Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain are in a most violent year. Have you seen this? I don't think I have. Dude, this movie fucking rules too. If you like Oscar Isaac, this was like a low key 2014 movie. Like, oh, he's like a like a like a gangster guy. Well, or like n- a not really, guy? but it very much feels like a Michael Corleone. Like, yep, he, it I've feels seen it. like a gangster thing, even though he's not really a gangster. He's just like an oil guy. Yep, but I've, yeah, I've totally seen it. Yeah, I just pulled it up. That movie, yep, great rips, movie, dude. Anyways, Love yeah. That. What else? What else do you got to close us out? Oh gosh, let me see here. Um, let me see here. I'm just like looking through the things that I've marked off on my list here. Some of them are are actually kind kind of terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, like there's some things like I watched it and like, oh god, that was really bad. I'm, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, you know, let me, let me scroll all the way down here and then when we can wrap up. Um, uh, I watched a movie called Take Shelter. Take Shelter, so awesome. I was blown away. Isn't Zac that the Efron. greatest movie fucking ever, dude? Oh no, no. Th- sorry, I'm thinking of the wrong movie. Zach. Er- so, uh, take take shelter is the guy. Um, he was in the Superman movies. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Know his yeah, name. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, um, hold on. Mike uh, Michael Shannon, and he uh, he's building the bomb shelter. Yeah, that's dude, take shelter. Amazing, amazing movie. That's what you're I talking about, though, right? Yep, it, okay. it is. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the Zach Efron movie here in a second. Um, take shelter, dude. That was another one. It was kind of on my list for a while. I looked at the reviews and thought it looked kind of whatever and watched it. And I was, it was riveting. It's like the greatest, it's the movie that I like make people watch. Cause it looks boring. Yep. And but, I really thought at the end that it was going to be like that. He really was. Well, I don't want to give things away, but like, I really thought at the end thought it was, was going to be, be one the, way, but it ends up being yeah. another. Yeah. And it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Amazing. And you know, you know what my favorite part of that movie is, even though the whole thing's awesome. It's yeah. the relationship between Michael Shannon's character and his wife. So good because she, she never an Oscar. Yeah, she but yeah. she never like leaves it. Like I feel like a normal movie would just have like you're going crazy. I'm taking the kids and leaving. And at one point, I think she does kind of like bail a little bit, but she never but she like leaves him. She always tries to talk through shit. I just yeah. love when like people try to communicate. And it's not but just like a more... plot device to be like fuck you. We're gonna act like we're mad and leave. But it like and feels real. That's closer to reality, though. Of course. Like, couples will stick through insane things, even if they have moments where they check out. You always come back to this person because because at the end of the day, she knows he's a good person. They've been in this relationship forever, and he's just having this crazy few months where he's losing his mind, but like where she thinks he is. And of course she comes back because she knows this, this isn't like there's some kind of truth here or like something going on here that I have to kind of believe because – I know he's a good person and that is so much more true to life. Yeah. It's also the thing of like, if we can just get past this thing, it all go back to being okay. Right. Yeah, man. There's this point in that movie where she's in the kitchen. She slaps him in the face and walks out. Dude, that was real too. And and I know like, you know, uh, yeah. And like, you know that he was like, I want you to really slap me. Don't fake it. Let's do this. And then <laughs> and like, she was like, bitch, I'm going to hit yeah. you anyway. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> she slaps the shit out of him. Have you seen, um, have you seen mud though? Uh, 
with, I, I with have Matthew that, McConaughey. McConaughey, yeah, I, I saw same it. director, he, but the year after, the, or two. I just years remember after. that he's he's in a boat, like on an island or something. I don't, or he's he's a, just like a weird dude, man. But <laughs> I would have to, I would have um, to like, yeah, I know. But it's I've the same it, guy that did Take it. Shelter. I love both of those. Mud was my favorite film of that year. Uh, I yeah. don't know. Again, I'd have to go back and watch some of them to know if I still hold that opinion. But at the time, it was my yeah. number one. Uh, I love yeah. that movie. So, yeah. Anyways, did you have more? The last one I'll drop here, and it's one that I falsely named earlier. Um, Zac Efron is in this movie called Gold. Yeah, Dude, that's like super um, new. It, it It's super new. It's it's awesome. It's I, I I'm, so I'm colorblind, but I'm pretty sure it's shot in black and white. It looks like it's <laughs> like you can't you can't. I, see. I shouldn't I'm, laugh at you, but that's funny. No, it's it's real. Like when you're sometimes when you're colorblind, you're not always sure what's going on. <laughs> but no, uh, I it, it's not um, black and white, but it's shot um like it's very muted. Yes, that's that's probably what it is. But like you know, it's a it's like a I'll just say it's post apocalyptic kind of story. Um, really well done. It's excellent. Dude, this is one that I wanted to check out. I'm still going to. I mean, it's a 2022 movie, so it's like just came I, out. I, I try to like dig a lot of these early on because when I get to my cram at the end of the year, I don't get to a lot of shit like Red Rocket, for example. But when I yeah. have access to some of these early on, because we don't get a lot of new movies at this time, usually not until after the Oscars. You know, there'll be a few, a handful of low key movies. Um, yep. But Gold was one of them, and I've just been on the fence about it. I just don't know what to think. Because I, 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 it's like I just read polarizing things. Now, now you're making me. I'm gonna watch it regardless because I don't. Watch I mean, stuff, like, I, but I, 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 could, I just I now I want to see it. Yeah, I could easily critique it, but it's 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 worth the watch. I mean, like, if anyone would have told me back in the day when my when my two sons who were now, uh, you know, almost twenty and twenty one when they were watching movies with Zac Efron, if someone would have told me that guy one day is gonna be a serious actor. I would have laughed in their face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when he was like Disney or Nickelodeon or whatever, you know, uh, high school musical. I don't remember what he did. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't like have believed all him. of those things, and, I think. But he looks so yeah. fucked in this. It's great. He does. He's fantastic in it. It's crazy. He was also really uh, there was something else I saw him in not too long ago. He was really good in. But like, he's, you know, he's making his play as like a serious actor. I got to respect it. But he's great in that. What are you going to do, man? I mean, there are some people. Here's here's my theory. I've had this theory ever since I got into movies. Every established actor, and that's the key word, established, meaning they've had multiple movies. Every actor has at least one good movie, even if they're bad in it. Like, there's a, yeah. like if you don't like Vin Diesel because all he's in is like Fast and the Furious shit and like Riddick and yeah. stuff. <laughs> like, he was in Saving Private Ryan. At the very least, he has that. You know what I'm saying? And I think he's done other things that are pretty decent too, but I'm just saying like at the very least, that's it. Some people have a real problem with Matthew McConaughey still because of all the dumb shit he did before. In 2013, he made an active change where he said, I want to do stuff now that is fulfilling. Like I want to have a legacy. And in 2013, everything he did, True Detective, Mud, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, his little cameo thing in there, and a Dallas Buyers Club, dude, in one year. They're classics. I know. It's crazy. And he just like blew my fucking mind. I know. I I don't, I try to like stay off those kind of bandwagons, man, because I, um, and I get it how easy it is. And I think there are definitely some actors where I could probably never 
give them the, the benefit of the doubt, but for the most part, <laughs> I'm able to do it. Um, because yeah, I, I've, I've known too many people who went from being terrible to being amazing. Dude, so, so many. And this yeah. goes right full circle back to Nick Cage. Some people look at him now, but dude, you got to go back. He's done some awesome shit. Anyways, yep. all right, dude. We can we can always have another we can have another chat sometime. I'm gonna go ahead and cut it now. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This was fun. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, that is the end of my episode with Matthew Putman. Uh, I would love to have him on again. I could just talk to this guy for forever. Uh, really, really fun time. Again, next week, I'm going to have Matthew Socian. We're going to finish out our Ingmar Bergman marathon that we started last year. And due to our schedules conflicting, we just never got around to finishing it. Well, guess what? Next week, we are. We're going to be watching Fanny and Alexander from 1982, the film version. And uh, we're going to talk about that. I'm also going to give my top five favorite Bergman movies, as well as review Big Bug and more. So definitely check out next week. Uh, man, I have a lot of really fun stuff planned uh, for this, uh, for probably the next couple of months or so. So uh, lots of interviews I'm planning, uh, both with friends and other people like Matthew Putman. I know I'm going to be having Bedard from Bane back on. And uh, I'm going to be talking with Greg Pennick again. And I'm going to have a, a bunch of other people, not necessarily in the next couple of months with those some of those guys. But I have some really awesome things lined up. So definitely stay tuned. Definitely follow us on social media so you can keep up with us. Uh, all the things. And I got to say, if you're not watching 2022 movies now, uh, you should hop on what's available. Because don't have to cram at the end like me and be an idiot. All right. There's some good stuff out there, but we'll talk about that next week. I love you guys so much. Thank you. And as always, good night, good luck, and take it easy.